Welcome to Revved Up for Sunday, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm John Kennedy. We are the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. And welcome to this holy season of Lent. This is uh, the preparation for Lent 1. And uh, I love this season. It's a season for all of us to sort of gather around and take stock of our lives and um, bind together as we prepare for a joyful and uh, holy Eastertide. So welcome to this journey and let's dive in. Hey everyone, Rob here. I just want to take a moment and let you know about a great opportunity to deepen your relationship with the Gospels this Lent, both in person and online. Beginning the week of February 11th, we're launching Revved Up for Lent, our small groups which we call Maranatha House Churches. These groups meet once a week for six weeks to discuss the latest episodes of our podcast. Feel free to bring your own questions and insights, or use the ones we've provided in our discussion guide. If you're unable to attend in person, we have a group meeting over Zoom on Thursdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, running from February 15th to March 21st. Or if you'd prefer, you can download a discussion guide right from our website and start an in-person group with friends or other members of your own church. For those of you wishing to attend one of our in-person house churches, meeting here at St. Mark's, we have three options. There are two Wednesday groups beginning February 14th from 12.45 to 1.45 p.m. or 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. We're also offering an option for Saturday mornings beginning February 17th from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. You can register at stmarksnewcanaan.org. We hope you'll join us this Lent, however you choose, as we journey through the Gospels and wrestle with all our thoughts and questions that come up along the way. And now back to Father Peter, Reverend Elizabeth, and Father John. It's year B. We have the text from Mark 1, 9 to 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Well, I, when I was looking at this this morning in preparation for our conversations, our conversation, and thinking about other conversations we've had about some of these same pieces of Scripture, uh, I was noting just how spare the Mark and Gospel yeah. is, particularly in the temptation narratives versus the the Lucan one and the Mar- and the Matthew version of it. And I got thinking about movies. And thinking about how are we to understand what's happening in the big picture. We were talking about movies before before we got started here. So here's my take on it, that Mark's gospel is like an action movie. I picked out Die Hard, which probably doesn't sound so great, or absolutely with a fantastic uh, topic of, of for Mark's gospel. That it just is bang, 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 bang. One thing after another. Mm-hmm. No reflection. It's just it's just one thing after another. And that the, the Lucan narrative reminds me, of uh, of uh, the Tom Hanks movie uh, 
catch me if you can. I almost feel like the, the Lucan narrator is, is like Tom Hanks, just this gentle, knowing voice telling the Jesus story, dear Theophilus, and unfolding the orderly account. And that Matthew's version is like a documentary film, <laughs> like a teaching film, a film in five episodes or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when you get to John, you get this art movie where John goes at a completely different place and drops into a completely different depth. But what we have here today is an action movie. Bang, 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 bang. That's really good. I like that framework. I like that too. I was sort of thinking of Mark as a, a this is far more boring, but I I think of Mark as like a library card file, you know, where you get all the giant headings. And then in each sentence, there's a treasure trove of possibilities of Mm -hmm. what they each signify. Yeah. You know, like the dove, the the tearing apart, the um, the 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 wilderness, the forty days. I mean, all these mm. things represent so many things in the history of Israel, and yeah. Yeah. you have to really go digging um, to unpack the whole business. But you're right. I mean, Mark has that like swift moving, super condensed and urgent, immediate. I mean, the word immediately is already showing up in every passage that we're going to read mm-hmm. in, in Mark. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like yeah, that. Well, I like yours, too, which, uh, you know, now we would put that in into, into a search engine like Google. But I'm so old. I remember card catalogs where you would go to wilderness and under wilderness to be all those cards. Right. So I like I like your, your, I like your take on that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the spareness of the telling of this story and, and particularly the, the temptation story simply because that's the only one we haven't covered in just like the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, holy Mm -hmm. redundancy, Batman. Um, Oh, nice. (laughs) But, uh, you know, (laughs) with with the baptism, with the temptation, and with the beginning of Jesus' proclamation, because so many of the elaborations, if you will, that we find in in Matthew and Luke, specifically with regard to the temptation, where we get the details about uh, Satan and and Jesus' conversation, what the temptations were, um, and so on. We don't get any of that here. Uh, sort of the, the the way that Mark points us to engage with it is to look at what each of these elements, in in, in the case of the temptation story, these two verses, only two verses, uh, mean, and specifically what they mean in the context of, of the Hebrew Scriptures, which, um, you know, the Gospels are, are some sort of commentary on. So I found that a really engaging thing. Just on, on two verses, I, I managed to fill up, you know, two full pages, single-spaced. So um, I was not expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, I did not prepare for the other verses because we already covered yeah. it. But, you know, it's part of the story, so perhaps we can mm-hmm. include that all at least by way of, of context for, for what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and what, what you're referring to is in Advent, we get this passage about the baptism. We get mm-hmm. it yes. twice in Epiphany. And now we have it again for Lent. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it, it I mean, the baptism scene, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think that the, if, but I think that it's, it's, here, it's here to give framework for mm-hmm. Jesus being driven out oh, into definitely. the wilderness. And that, that language of being driven out mm. is already re- um, echoing like the Adam and, Adam and Eve story where Adam and Eve are driven out mm. yeah, good call. into a wilderness and yeah. Jesus is sent to kind of reenact or <clears throat> um, relive the steps of Adam and Eve and get right what they get wrong on their behalf, on all our behalf, and then, you know, come live into the garden of, of the kingdom Mm. And um, I think that he needs to hear, you are my son, the beloved, with you I'm well pleased, because immediately he goes into the wilderness. And, um, you know, the dove descending, I think, 
can uh, give us a little echo of Noah and the floodwaters. And, you know, when Noah has come through their quote unquote 40 days, which really amounts to like years and years on the boat. And if you read all the numbers of days that are mentioned in that stories, it's really this time of, of testing and, and waiting. But the dove is like the calming of the waters. You know, at last there's peace and safety. And I think Jesus gets this ahead of time that within him is this peace and safety. And it's descending like a dove on him. It's like the language in the Greek can also be coming into him. Mm. And, you know, he hears he's the beloved. And then he goes and faces all this, the wild beasts and temptation from Satan. And, you know, you probably can bring us a lot of... And both of you can talk about Satan. Um, I'm but a big Satan guy. He, yeah, so we get <laughs> this passage again about the baptism because I think it's really giving us the backdrop for how he goes into the wilderness and, mm-hmm. you know, the armor he's given to to face what he's going to face. Yeah, I think that, you know how... Uh, Biblical scholars, when we were in seminary, they couldn't stand it when we would mush the Gospels together, and that's why they can't stand the world's greatest Christmas pageant. And, but if you, I think that uh, you know, if you just take the Markin story the way it is, and in, in its uber spareness, uh, you're you're talking about the context, the role of the Spirit. That Jesus is not making his own decisions here, the way he is in John's Gospel. Remember, in John's Gospel, we talked about that a few weeks ago that he chooses to go to Galilee. Here, he's driven, and you elicit. Uh, you know, told us in such great ways about what the drive portion it was. But I want to go into the wilderness here with Jesus for a second because I um, I found myself re-understanding or understanding anew uh, just even the meaning of the spare pieces we got. And so, like, that he's, that the wild beasts, uh, he's there with the wild beasts, or are the wild beasts his companions? I mean, is this grim or is this good? And I just have to say, I've changed my mind. I used to think the wild beasts were grim, but now I think the wild beasts were good. Mm-hmm. And there's an ambivalence in the text, and that I, I'm thinking of Francis of Assisi, and you all know, I mean, we've talked about this in some other pods, that when you meditate, the vibrations of your body changes, and that's why your dogs, if you have a dog, will come up and sit next to you while you're meditating, because they understand that vibration. It's a vibration that works very well with, with many animals. And and so I've come to believe that Jesus was accompanied by the wild beast during his time. Uh, and the second thing is I'd always read uh, the way the angels came to him, that the angels came at the end, like, you made it, dude, good job. But that's actually not what it says in the Greek. It says mm-hmm. that the, the angels, the, the imperfect tense, has that they were sustaining him throughout, not just at the end, and they were serving and waiting on him. So that Jesus was never alone without God in the, in the, in the wrestlings in the desert. So, and for me, that kind of recasts it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and to Maybe I'm. Maybe this is iso Jesus, or I'm. I'm choosing to interpret it in a particular way, but uh, I, I find it um, more human to understand the wild beasts not as terror, but and also to find that the angels. He had a sense of the angelic presence, even as he was mm-hmm. really getting roughed up. That we're ne- just like we're never alone when yeah. times are rough for us too, sort right. of thing. Yeah, yeah, and in the New Jerusalem translation which i really love um it says the angels looked after him is that how they have it oh yeah Yeah, that's super cool i like that a lot and i love what you're saying about the wild beasts i mean adam and eve had all the animal companions and in the first um creation account in genesis god makes animals to be adam's companions that's right oh yeah good call and it ends up kind of not being enough and adam's like but 
I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets Eve. Um, but yeah, that's such a beautiful interpretation. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So do I. I mean, of course, it echoes Isaiah um, chapter 11, talking about the, the messianic uh, mm-hmm. uh, time of peace to yeah. come, yep. mm-hmm. where the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard, lie down with the kid, the calf, and the lion, and the fatling together, and so on. Uh, the, these um, creatures that uh, in, in the world that we live in now exist in a predator prey relationship are seen in a, some sort of future age to come by the prophet Isaiah as living in harmony. And, mm. and Jesus, of course, being, as we Christians understand it, the guy to bring that mm-hmm. about. And that is already happening here. I, I really mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I think there is an ambivalence, as you said, because, um, uh, you know, uh, well, Psalm 91, which I think is is in mind here, which talks about um, uh, the, the angels bearing someone oh, yeah. up on oh, their yeah, hands, yeah. Yeah. but also you shall trample on the, the lion and, and the adder and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. That psalm was associated f- with the need for defense against Satan and demons in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. And hmm. those are people who knew about the wilderness. So I think there is an ambivalence, but um, I prefer the former take that you brought out, Peter, that yeah. this is sort of like a St. Francis-like mm-hmm. um, Jesus living in harmony with all, all creation. Yeah, I think um, it's a both and here. I because, think so too. Because, you know, we get the yeah. whole Adam echo and... Uh, it, it's both in in the story in Genesis Very good too, point. where yeah. you know the serpent is really the enemy, and right. Mm. Um, and oh, yet, nice. Yet the logic of creation is that everything is meant to have its place and have its harmony and have its companionship mm-hmm. and coexistence, all to the glory of God and yeah. to you know revel in the presence of God. And I think that's the kingdom that God or that Jesus is coming to proclaim that you know we've lost sight of this. Mm-hmm garden you know that god really created for us to be in and um jesus is seeing you know by withdrawing into the wilderness he's kind of seeing the world for what it is and and he has to go take it on in a way that's not going to just be like what the world is but he has to kind of go in a non-violent you know live out this kingdom uh way that's the logic of of god's creation and create you know demonstrate peace and a willingness to absorb violence in order to recast the vision you know mm. oh interesting wow you're going some places that never even occurred to me uh which is really cool to be in the conversation with you guys i you know when i looked at this this morning i must or not this morning i started before this morning but that there's in the in the in the temptation portion which is the portion that john and i spent more to, <laughs> more, more time on yeah, let's but go there's there. the spirit you've given a beautiful introduction of the spirit and the spirit of course uh, predates Jesus, right? Uh, it, the Spirit's there in verse 2 of the book of Genesis. The Spirit hovers over the waters, and now we've got the Spirit, and we have Satan, and we've got the wild beasts, we've got the angels. There, so there's there's kind of four players hmm. there along with Jesus in the desert. And just a word about Satan. Hmm. Uh, and this is something, again, that w- I don't th- see any reason how I ever would have known this unless I was studying uh, the Gospels and studying the Scriptures, but uh, some of the stuff that I've learned, of course, we know of Satan as the chief demon, and that's how he's clearly understood uh, in the Mark and text, mm-hmm. referred to five times. So we get we get Satan five times in Mark, mm-hmm. and that uh, the, the the word Satan means adversary, mm-hmm. and uh, it, the, the what a, what or who Satan is evolves in the Scriptures. So Satan starts off as a as a human adversary in antiquity, just someone who 
is your opposition. And then it moves up to Satan as an accuser uh, of human beings before God. And we see that in the book of Job. And then it evolves further where we start hearing the word devil uh, from accuser to adversary. It starts to try to uh, destroy the creatures of God. And and uh, But as you know, we had talked about it. I think, John, you brought up in one of our past pods that in the Hebrew scriptures, Satan is not a, is not a big deal, mm-hmm. so to speak. It's still, Satan's still an emissary of God in the Hebrew scriptures. But by the time we get to the New Testament period, things have really shifted around. Yeah. And, and some of that comes apparently out of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. you're always, you're, you're so articulate about so many things, but this question of light and dark, and this was the Babylonian Persian perspective, mm-hmm. and that got picked up. Yeah. And then suddenly Satan becomes the kind of the chief poobah of all that is opposed uh, to God. And then in the New Testament, of course, we have, uh, we have Satan as, the, as the, the chief of all that is in opposition. And so, mm. and so one of the things we've talked about in the previous pods is that, is that the drama that is Jesus is playing out is being played out on two levels. It's being played out on the earthly plane, but there's also a spiritual plane. Yes being played out and so we, yeah. we're going to get that throughout and so he's got the chief adversary against him in the desert mm-hmm. that's really the kind of background of some of what mm-hmm. i understand that's right. the background of all it's, that it's the first opposition that jesus faces in the gospel mm-hmm. uh, and perhaps we are to understand the most significant mm-hmm. um, opposition because it is the power behind the human opposition uh, he faces uh, I'm so tempted haha, to talk about <laughs> details from Matthew and Luke in this story, but I don't want to do that because I know you have done that in previous pods. We'll come back uh, no, to it in a I year. Mean, it's not like the people who are listening to us are, have been going through the Matthew and Luke in previous pods. I mean, if you've got, you've got an insight for us. Yeah, well, just no, that I think it's in Luke that um, Satan departed from Jesus after he passes he these tests until an opportune 413. time. 4.13, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 4.13. So, so Satan's yeah. not done trying to yeah. snuff out Jesus in a way, mm-hmm. but uh, but he, he doesn't manage to do it here. Can I just say that was on the test at the Kent School in my <laughs> oh, theology nice. class? That's how I know the verse, oh, wow. and it comes back with the, with Judas. That's where yeah. it comes back. Okay. That that's was one well, of the, and Peter, like Jesus calls Jesus Peter that's the right. stumbling block, that's right. you know, Get behind, behind me, Satan. Satan. Yeah, I don't a, think that's... That's a, that's a pretty tough one for my old namesake there. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, I, I know you talked about this in the pod for Lent 1 last year, but the difference uh, between tempted and tested. These are both legitimate translations. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the NRSV, we get tempted. In other translations, such as uh, the one I just mentioned, New Jerusalem Bible, it's tested. Um, is this a significant distinction in, in Mark's narrative, in your minds? Um, well, I think when Paul, is it Paul or Peter, letters of Peter, that say, you know, Jesus was tempted in every way as we are yet. I that. think it's Hebrews. Oh, Hebrews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people used to thank think you. that was Paul. Yeah, right yeah. on. Um, so I think that at least it became associated with what his experience was, you know, being tested, being mm-hmm. put through trials. Um, I don't know if it's significant. I don't, I think it's both, you know, temptation is a testing for sure. Yeah, it's super beyond my pay grade, if yeah. you don't mind yeah. my saying. Um, you have to bring in a real scholar to answer that. I don't know. But how about this one? Uh, uh, corollary to your question. Are the temptations to break down Jesus? Mm-hmm. Are they to uh-huh. build up Jesus? Or are they to clarify for Jesus? Mm. 
So break down, which is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break you down uh, by giving you these things and see if you fail. To strengthen is to say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have the strength to overcome these things and so you'll be stronger for like, like training, like mm-hmm. physical fitness mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then clarification, which you get, you know, I'm not going to choose, which you can get in some of the other two gospel mm-hmm. passages. I'm not going to choose this kind of power, showy power. I'm not going to turn bread into, right. you know, stones into bread. I'm not, you know, I'm not, da, 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 and which, you know, could be a clarification. Do you have any mm-hmm. sense of that? What well, are these good. temptations for? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it plays out in his life that when, you know, if we do draw from Matthew and Luke that he, he was tempted to make bread out of stones, you know, later on he is given bread by a child to give to the masses. You know, it's a gift from God like it was for the yeah. Israelites in the wilderness, you know, not to make it on his own terms, um, even if he's capable. You know, so he, he has this time in the desert to really consider what the world is like and to he knows what's happening with john the baptist you know he's about to get arrested that's in our text here um he sees that this warring powers of human kingdom and all that and how the power struggles and one-upsmanship and all that stuff play out and i think he's really you know the 40 days is really a signifier for a really important time of Mm -hmm. test of sifting and testing and reflecting and jesus is maybe disabused of the idea that he can enter into that fray on the same level. And maybe it's clarified for him that there's this other way that God has in in mind for him, you know, and he's tempted to kind of rule the kingdoms of the world. And, you know, it would be just the opposite of, you know, imperial rule, you know? So, yeah. But what about in Mark? So this is all good. Everything you said is all good. But if you're in Mark, if we stay in Mark only, Mm -hmm. And we have this. What do you make of that? Right. What do you make of that? Where we don't get all that other information. He's just tempted. He's, he's, he's tempted. And he's cared for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he's out of there. Yeah. But it's, he, it, he takes mystery. it with him. I think that's how he can start his public mystery. Or oh, definitely. Ministry. Definitely. Yeah. But, it yeah. doesn't, that, but would you agree? I mean, the interpretation you gave is super solid. Is right on, but we have to go to other 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 books mm-hmm. to get that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it doesn't spell out the temptations, but I think as he walks through his ministry in Mark, all the ways he chooses to take on confrontation mm. and respond are yeah. not ways that look like, you know, our ways. And mm-hmm. you know, even um, letting, even you know, the way he hands himself over to be killed and surrenders himself into God's hands in the garden of Gethsemane. He's like, not your will, but my, not thy will, not my will, but thine be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, um, testing God. He's totally surrendering. And, um, I think it's, it shows that he had this clarification coming out of the wilderness. So yeah. I think it still stands in Mark what I was saying, but Without the specificity, yeah, I don't I, know what I mean. What do you think? I, I mean, I, I think all three are going on. That mm-hmm. obviously it is Satan's intention to uh, break Jesus down. I don't think sacred Satan, excuse me, Satan is secretly cooperating with God, uh, at least not wittingly. Um, certainly, that's not how I think Satan is depicted in, in the scriptures. Uh, so th- th- there's an attempt to break down Jesus, most definitely. But the Spirit is the one who drives Jesus into the wilderness, <laughs> meaning that there is some divine intent for this to build up Jesus in some way. That you know what, uh, in this case, what Satan meant for for ill, uh, God uses for good. That sort of dynamic, which mm-hmm. I think is such an important way of thinking about uh, 
how our trials in life can build us up. Mm-hmm. Not that they were sent to us necessarily by God, um, but that uh, that God can use them for, for the good. And I like the testing one because um, I know this isn't always a popular sentiment in the Episcopal Church, which um, often likes to make faith sound really easy for people. <laughs> um, it's not easy. You know, I think... Um, I mean this very tongue-in-cheek, but we could recover a little muscular Christianity, this idea that, as Paul talked about, you know, the Christian life um, is uh, sort of a race. It is sort of an athletic endeavor uh, in that it, it you don't have to be physically fit, but you need to be Spiritual combat, fit. yeah. 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 Uh, it is spiritual combat. I think spiritual combat is at the heart of Christianity, um, and uh, whether you can conceive that as, uh, uh, you know, um, against the devil or just against all the stuff in the world, however identified, however understood, that keeps us from our vocation to be like Jesus. Uh, I think that's, that's at the heart of it. And so Jesus is going through this, and he rises above it. And um, this means that, I'm, I'm getting this from Augustine, that his temptations and his testing mean that when we are tested, which we are over and over and over again, every day, mm-hmm. uh, we can know that we are not alone and that Jesus has already sort of given us the victory in some way. And even though we will, you know, um, stumble and plod along very often in, in this race that is set before us, as, as Hebrews puts it, um, in some sense, the victory is ours and that can give us the strength to uh, respond like Jesus, um, at least sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hopefully more and more <clears throat> deeper mm-hmm. and longer we go. Um, so I, I think that's really good. And I think it does clarify for Jesus what, what he's about, which you think you spoke to so mm-hmm. so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any any thoughts on it? You, you asked the question, but what would you say? I asked the question because I wasn't sure. <laughs> uh, I, and I really loved both of your answers. Thank you for, thank you for taking a swing at my question. Yeah, yeah. this is Good, good launch pad for Lent One yeah. and um, great conversation. Thank you guys so much. So we hope that you um, have enjoyed this podcast and have some uh, stuff to think through and be sifted on, uh, sifted through for this first week of Lent. And uh, as Rob said at the beginning of the podcast, it's not too late to join a revved up for Lent circle, pod circle, and uh, you can do that by calling our office. Uh, also, no, don't forget to leave us a voicemail if you have thoughts on this podcast, you can call us at 203-442-5002. We always love to hear what you have to say. God bless you and have a blessed and holy Lent.